Luke chapter 2. Again, as John mentioned, a beautiful and familiar portion of Scripture. I know uh, my parents for many years um, read the Christmas question, answer. Mike's not on. How's that? Can you hear in the back better? Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. We, uh, for many years, uh, on Christmas Day, uh, would read Luke 2. And uh, it's beautiful that your children and grandchildren uh, can know the quote, and we use this phrase a lot, the true meaning of Christmas. And uh, as you communicate this to your children or grandchildren, it's, it's a wonderful thing that they can understand because uh, multitudes of people uh, celebrate the Christmas season. And there is something about the celebration of it uh, that um, doesn't happen in other celebrations during the year. But uh, it's very important that our children and grandchildren understand that we celebrate and that we'll be considering this, the coming of the Son of God from heaven, the eternal Son of God, down here to the earth for a very specific purpose in order to lay down his life for us, pay for our sins so that we can be forgiven. And not only forgiven, but be given through the power of the Holy Spirit, given to us by Christ, that we have the power now to say no to sin. All of us are tempted by sin. And uh, the Holy Spirit, of course, living within us, gives us that ability to um, respond. And if we're yielded to the Spirit, we can say no to the things that are displeasing to God. Before we go into the text of Luke chapter 2, I want to mention again the title of the message this morning is, uh, well, I put the the translation from the New King James, Good Tidings of Great Joy, or Good News of Great Joy. I want to start with some bad news. Okay, we need a contrast here. We need a contrast. This past week it was revealed from the Centers of Disease, uh, for Disease Control and Prevention that suicides and drug overdoses in America are at an all-time high. Now, some of you might say, ah, oh, it's not surprising. I mean, not surprised to hear that. It's interesting that they released it this past week. And the, the question, of course, is what is driving this epidemic of drug overdoses and uh, suicides. And a man by the name of Dr. William Dietz from George Washington University. I I don't believe he's a a born-again Christian. He may be. But it's interesting what he said. Okay? So someone to ask you, well, why is there this tremendous increase in drug addiction um, and suicides in America? This is what he said. Dr. William Dietz. I really do believe that people are increasingly losing hope. And that leads to drug use and it leads potentially to suicide, to lose hope, hopelessness. The interesting thing is that the Word of God is filled with encouragement for us as believers to keep our hope and our trust in the Lord. In fact, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 said that we as believers, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which we will celebrate at the table this morning, we have a living hope 
It's a hope that's alive. It's working in our minds and our thoughts. We know that this world is not all there is, that there's a life to come. And as we go through the journey here, and some days aren't so good, and some days are difficult, we know that someone goes with us, our Lord. And, and the day will come when we'll be out of this type of environment and into the very presence of the Lord. And that's worth an amen. Okay. The center for disease control and prevention says things are not so good for multitudes of people in our country. In other words, they need to hear good news of great joy. Now, you'll notice that the angel said in 2.10, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. And, of course, he said that because he was speaking to the shepherds who were Jewish. And uh, he was saying, look, the message of the gospel, the message of God sending his son here for us is not just for the Jewish nation, but it's for all the peoples of the earth. And that's why we pray for the conversion of people around the world. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why we ourselves share the good news. And we'll be talking about this as well. So the account here in Luke chapter 2 gives to us uh, the detail of the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Luke 2 may be perhaps the most familiar and most loved portion of all of Luke's gospel. And again, to some people, it may seem that, well, you know, I've heard the story of the birth of Christ before. But listen, to we who know Christ, when we think about the fact that God had a plan for Jesus to leave the glories of heaven and come here, and we see that plan worked out in, in the Word of God and the, the historical, accurate truth of what's presented. It encourages us. <laughs> it really does. And we'll see this as we continue to look in this portion of Scripture. In fact, the point is um, that some, sometimes people may consider the, the coming of Christ. And um, remember the angel said you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And uh, you've heard people say this. You've heard people say, um, well, uh, so-and-so is as weak as a baby. Well, in a physical sense, the Lord Jesus, when he was born of Mary, uh, had physical weakness. But I'm telling you, this, the, the account is very clear that the, humanly speaking, the Lord Jesus Christ was the center of power of what God was going to do, even at that time, even at that day. And I like, uh, and I'm going to tell you who provides this for us, Warren Wearsby, as he discussed Luke. He says that there's three things that we see in this section, and it's beautiful. In fact, once you hear them, you kind of keep them in your mind and thinking. He said, concerning the birth of Christ, his birth drew Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. His birth drew the angels down from heaven, and his birth drew the shepherds out of the fields and into Bethlehem to see Christ. Uh, let's look at the text again a little bit. You'll notice verse 1 says, came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So, uh, it's interesting to see that God's using a human king, Caesar Augustus, and his requirement that you pay your taxes. 
You know, we have that requirement too. We don't have to go back to where we were born to pay our taxes. You just pay them anywhere you are. Make sure you mail that check in, right, the IRS. Um, Caesar, however, desired that everyone be registered so that the monies would come in to Rome. Caesar was, of course, the earthly ruler, but the text of Scripture is very encouraging and very clear to receive for us to see that God is in charge. He is in control. And uh, remember we said when the trials come along in life, when there are things we don't understand, our knowledge of God has to override our understanding of why things happen. We don't always know why things happen as the way they do here in this life. But Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says that ultimately God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. And there are things that God allows by his permission to come into our lives and experience. And, and we don't, again, repeat, we don't know why. But we ha- always have to keep in mind that God is in ultimate sovereign control. The interesting thing is you look in the text that uh, was Caesar's decree that caused Mary and Joseph to go 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Uh, Jesus was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And sometimes you may find someone who says, Hey, uh, give me a little example of why you know the Bible's the inspired word of God. You know what verse I use? I use Micah 5 two. 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet prophesied, But you Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me... The one who is to be the ruler in Israel. Here it is. Here's your key word. Who's this one that's going to be ruler in Israel? The one whose goings forth have been from everlasting. It's the eternal son of God who was born in Bethlehem. He's the God man. In fact, when you want to talk to someone, perhaps even your children or a relative or a friend, about the inspiration of the word of God, and uh, you talk about the uniqueness of your Bible... You can talk about fulfilled prophecy. And, and, and it's so beautiful to see the fulfilled prophecy in relationship to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his birth. Uh, he would be born a human and not an angel. Genesis 3.15, remember? It says he'd be the seed of the woman. He would be born a Jew and not a Gentile. Genesis chapter 12, he's of the seed of Abraham. He would be born of the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. He's coming out of a specific tribe of Israel, the tribe of Judah. He would be born in the family of David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. He would be born of a virgin. And that's a very important truth. We're not going to go into detail on that this morning. And he would be born in Bethlehem. So you see that there's much in the Word of God that reminds us that the Word of God is His Word. And it's divinely inspired. And God used the human writers to give to us that which we need to understand about even the birth of our Savior. I found the verse in Jeremiah. I never saw this verse before. I probably read through it and didn't didn't grab me. Speaking of grab me, that was Martin Luther. (laughs) Speaking of the Word of God, he used to say, boy, when I read the Word of God uh, and I hear it, he said, the Word of God, it runs after me and it grabs a hold of me. And it can. Sometimes you'll catch yourself saying, 
man, that verse really spoke to my heart. God really used it in my life. That's when the word of God is grabbing you. Thank you, Martin Luther. Oh, he didn't hear me, did he? Okay. Um, Jeremiah 1.12. I am watching over you. I am watching over my word, and I will perform it. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 12. So uh, verse 3 in the, in the Luke 2 passage says, All went to be registered, everyone to his own city. They went to the city of Bethlehem. That was Joseph's hometown. And um, it's interesting, the word or the name Bethlehem means house of bread. And how appropriate that the Son of God was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, because he is the bread of life, isn't he? And he sustains us. Um, we feed on him. He, he meets the needs of our lives. Uh, on any given day, things can come up in our lives and experience. And we say, Lord, I need your grace in my life. I need your wisdom in my life. And uh, we, we feed upon Christ, who is literally the bread of life for us. Second thing, very quickly, his birth drew the angels from heaven in verses 8 through 14. And how amazed the angels must have been. You know, they were in heaven seeing the Son of God before he ever was born of Mary. Yeah, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, the angels knew certainly very well uh, the uh, persons of the Godhead. How amazed they must have been when they saw what God was putting into action. And, and how the Son of God, the creator of the whole world, would be born as a human being. Uh, I don't know what they were saying between one another, this group of angels, but they're probably saying, wow. Maybe they were saying something like, I don't know if I would have done it that way, but <laughs> God's the one that does the choosing, okay? And... Um, they were amazed. First uh, Timothy 3.16 says, Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. Remember we said last week, if you're talking to some people who don't understand the true meaning of Christmas, um, you, you only need to know three words. God with us. God, the Son, left the glory. And Christmas is all about God coming for us. Well, the first announcement was given. Verses 8 and 9, then there were same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were afraid. If we saw an angel in the middle of the night, our reaction might be similar. Uh, sometimes, uh, probably all of us at one time or another, have like walked into a room and someone was there and we were startled. Well... Just think how it was for the shepherds when an angel leaves the presence of God and comes down and wants to speak to them. Uh, so interesting. And it's interesting because of who they were. The, the Lord came to the shepherds and we say, why did God come to the shepherds and not to the priests of Israel? Uh, why not to the, um, the, the, the rulers and the, the leaders of the people of Israel? And of course the point is because of the grace of God. First uh, Corinthians chapter one verses twenty six and seven. Uh, God chooses those He wants to use for His glory, and isn't it amazing that God has chosen us? God has chosen you in your family. God has chosen you where you work. 
You're a light for the Lord. Remember the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that we're salt and light for the Lord. And uh, we, we need to constantly be reminding ourselves that we are the salt of the earth. And we're the light of the world. And uh, why is that? Because we have the message that will so help those who have lost hope, who go into despair, and uh, some go into deep despair. We have the message of hope and life in the person of the Lord Jesus. And we know what Jesus has done for us. So important. Well, the Lord, uh, again, chose shepherds. And, of course, the Messiah who came was both the good shepherd and the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So it's very fitting that the shepherd of Israel, the Lamb of God, that the first announcement of his birth would be to shepherds. That's God's choosing. Of course, the message is great, and I'm going to read it again. Verse 10, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. I saw a little bit more reading this past week on, um, I get this magazine called Outreach Magazine, and um, they recommend some things. And Door-to-door ministry. Uh, I know everybody's not called the door-to-door ministry, okay? In fact, I've had people say, you don't want to go door-to-door ministry. People don't respond. You know, anytime somebody's downing something that you want to do for the Lord, just flip it over and say, now, wait a minute, what, what's the positive of these things, you know? What is the positive? Uh, the, the point, of course, is this. <clears throat> do we have the greatest message in the world? And uh, when we knock on the doors, you say, well, what do you say? You're, you're going along there and you're not JWs and you're not Mormons. What do you say when you knock on people's doors? I say, um, this is John. I'm Ken. Now, don't miss this now. We're from Louisville Bible Church. You see, you've got to identify who you are right up front. Okay? We're from Louisville Bible Church here in town. And we're just coming through to share the good news Is that okay so far? We're here to share the good news of Jesus. Do you know the good news? And if they're believers, some of them say, oh, man, I'm saved. Boy, good to see that you're doing this. And We get responses like that. But that's why aren't we those who share the good news of Jesus? And it can be done. And uh, so those, and I don't think there's any in this fellowship, uh, to those who say, ah, don't, you should not never do door-to-door stuff because all kinds of salesmen go to door-to-door, shouldn't do that. God can use it for his glory. And here's the message again. I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people, not just to the people of Israel. And as soon as this message was given, you'll notice that it says, and there was suddenly with that angel, verse 13, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Now, here's how I look at that. This message of Christ's coming is, is awesome. It's glorious. A whole multitude of angels come. In other words, it's something that human beings probably never saw before. The shepherds saw it and uh, text doesn't say any of them had a heart attack because they saw it or anything like that. But the glory of God. Oh, this is real. This is, this is reality. You see, when you, um, you think about rock stars and they get up on stages and they have flashing lights and a lot of noise and loud, 
or you get into the um, middle of a Super Bowl game, and they have lots of lights and cameras and, and all that kind of action. You know what? That's nothing compared to the glory of God. Wow. Reality. God sends his angels to tell these humble shepherds, I'm send, I've given you my son, and when you put your faith and trust in him, he will forgive your sin, and he will walk with you through the difficult things in life, and he will make it possible so that your sin is taken away, and you can come to heaven to be with me. Now that's worth angels coming. How many angels were there? Well, we don't really know. It says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, when the Apostle John uh, saw that worship scene in heaven, he said this in Revelation 5, 11. He said, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. <laughs> it's a lot of angels. Isn't it going to be awesome when we're in heaven? I mean, we're not going to be bored up there. I mean, when we see the glory of God, when we see our Savior, when we see all these angels, and by the way, you'll sing with them. So you say, well, maybe in heaven my voice still might not be good. Well, they'll drown you out anyway. <laughs> Keep singing. Very, very beautiful. Very beautiful. Thirdly, his birth drew the shepherds from the fields. His birth drew the shepherds from the fields in verses 15 through 18. In verse 15, they say, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. And you'll notice the last part of that verse is very important. It's easy to overlook. Which the Lord has made known to us. You see, they're saying, Wow, with these angels coming from heaven. And they're saying, The Savior is born. It's God who told us about this. And by the way, you're saved this morning, you know Jesus as your Savior. God has revealed his truth to you, right? And there are multiple, maybe your neighbors next door, maybe those people you work with, they don't know about the Lord. They don't know the Lord the way you do. And uh, the shepherd said, wow, this knowledge of the fact that the babe has come, the promised Messiah has come, God has made this known to us, and God has made known to each of us his great truth, the great truth of his coming. There's some observations made on this real quickly. Um, the shepherd's response illustrates two things which happen when it happens when a person comes to faith in Christ. First of all, they hear the revelation of the message from God that the Savior has come. You see, there are many people, you know, we say, well, I don't know how they're, they're going to get saved. Um, now, when you start asking yourself this question, I, I don't know how. It could be that the Lord's saying, I want to use you. <laughs> because faith comes by hearing and hearing by... Okay, so I have a responsibility to talk to my neighbor next door. And even though he's from another country and I can't hardly understand him. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he is a little difficult to understand. <laughs> he really is a little difficult. But I tell him about Jesus and he says, yeah, that's good to hear about Jesus, but you've got to live the life and you've got to do things. And I try to explain, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but we love him. Uh, my wife and I, we love our neighbors and we're praying for him. But his, uh, he's spiritually blind and he can't see. That life is in Jesus alone. 
So uh, um, first of all, they heard the revelation, the message from God that the Savior had come, and they responded, and then they believed that message. Romans 10:14 says, How shall they call on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not uh, heard? How they believe? How shall they call on him? And how shall they believe on him if they haven't heard about him? You see what I'm saying? I'm leading up to this point where there's some people that we know. They need somebody to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, like the shepherds were faithful in telling. Um, 2.17 is a key, key statement here. 2.17, where they say, where it says rather of them. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. They heard about Christ, they responded, and they wanted to tell others about the Lord. They were excited about him. Now, I don't know how long you've known Jesus as your Savior. For some of us like me, it's been a long time. Um, But we need to be careful, and please take this well, okay? We need to be careful that we don't lose the enthusiasm of our salvation. I remember meeting a man in New York in a Christian bookstore, and he had just gotten the job. And I said, oh, this is great. He said, yeah, I haven't known the Lord too long. Boy, these all these books in here, I want to read them all, you know. He was, that, he was very enthusiastic. And, he sa- and I said, uh, well, what's some of the things that strike you from now being a Christian in the family of God? And he said, the, the man who led me to Christ said this, don't ever lose the joy of your salvation. A lot of things will come into your life that kind of pour water over in your enthusiasm, but don't ever lose the joy of your salvation. And I thought, that I, I won't forget that either. That is awesome. The disciples, I mean, the, the shepherds, rather, they didn't lose the joy of what they heard. And when they had seen the Christ child, they made widely known the saying which, which told them who the child really was. And let's ask the Lord, before we come to the communion table, to this Christmas season, to start praying for somebody we know. They don't really understand what Christmas is all about. We we probably all know at least one person, maybe more. Let's ask the Lord to use us. You see, we want to be those who spread the good news. The shepherds are great examples for us. They made widely known and uh, I was in a store here in town the other day, and uh, I was uh, picking up some wrapping paper for our Christmas outreach. And uh, this look, may look funny, me waving this thing around. It has two things on it. It has a track to know the Lord there over there. And it has this on it. It says this. Merry Christmas. This gift is for you. Because Christmas is all about Jesus Christ. He came to earth and was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. When we put our faith, complete trust in him, the risen Savior, acknowledging our need for him, we receive God's forgiveness of all sin and the gift of eternal life. Romans 6.23, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Your friends at Louisville Bible Church meeting Sunday morning at 10.30. And then we give this out, this uh, wrapping paper. Just one project. Uh, We've done it now for two years, and the response is good. 
It really is. Um, the ones you like to remember when people say things like, yeah, I'm going to have to remember that. Things like that. Many, many different types of responses. But you might want to pray for uh, those of us who will be giving out that wrapping paper. On the piano is some tracks which uh, you could use. So when you go out this way, uh, the tracks are there and a couple booklets, a few booklets, and uh, you can use it. God does want to use us during this season of the year. And would you not agree with me that it's probably this is one of the easiest times of the year to have something to lead into sharing. Now, what's Christmas really about? <laughs> God loves you very much and sent his son to give his life for us. Let's pray together.